Welcome to the One Heart Podcast from Concordia University, St. Paul, where we share the stories at the heart of our CSP community. Greetings and welcome to episode two of the One Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Schultz. Today, we have the second of our two-part interview with President Brian Friedrich. In this part of the interview, he shares the context in which CSP is serving students, a sort of state of higher education locally, nationally, and within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I hope these insights are meaningful to you as you hear what's happening and and how CSP is continuing to meet the challenges and opportunities that lie before us in higher education. Thank you for listening to One Heart today, and, and thank you to all who have downloaded or subscribed to the podcast. We really appreciate the support, and we hope that it brings you inspiration as you hear the stories at the heart of the CSP community. With that, I bring you President Brian Friedrich. Maybe we can start at the kind of the bottom end uh, or the, the last word, demographics. And, and that's one of those headlines I think lots of people understand uh, that the, the demographics, especially for uh, traditional aged college university students, uh, the cliff is coming. And I believe that COVID has accelerated the cliff and we're probably at, uh, if not just a, a few feet away from the, the, the cliff as we talked this afternoon. So demographics, especially focused on traditional age um, students, there are just fewer and there will continue to be fewer. So that marketplace will continue to shrivel. Um, the other demographic challenge that's happening right now um, is lines up with our economy. So there are fewer adults right now who are needing to reskill or upskill um, just because jobs are so plentiful. And we know that um, the the growth or um, deacceleration in, in adult learning is um, inverse to the economy. So when the economy is down, that part of the population Uh, education age population goes up and vice versa. So right now we're in a bit of a trough there and Concordia for 40 years has been a leader in adult uh, distance education. Uh, So that's a a, a challenge we feel somewhat acutely. Um, You know, the other, the other demographic piece is, is more maybe a a silver uh, lining in the cloud is that people need uh, more and more education. So graduate degrees are becoming the coin of the realm as opposed to an undergraduate degrees degree. And that's an area of growth, especially for us at this point in time. Um, so, yeah, demographics are, are a big thing. I think one of the other things we don't talk about all that much are the demographics of, of the workforce, the faculty and the staff. Um, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to uh, say thank you and Godspeed to seven full-time faculty members who are retiring. That's a, that's a big number. Um, and so we have a cohort of faculty and staff who are inching ever closer to retirement and where will the new talent uh the new gifted uh, faculty and staff come from to to replace those those folks so yeah demographics is a big one impacts students impacts uh, our staff impacts our, our our faculty and then uh competition or 
uh, yeah. closures, which one do you want to tackle? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, those are both, it, these are just it, cheery topics, but it's they're cheery topics. Yeah. How do we get on this competition? Interestingly, the, uh, the Minnesota Private uh, College Council yesterday released the uh, statistics from um, the last academic year, so 2022. And there are 18 colleges, universities that make up the Minnesota Private College Council. Uh, of those institutions, Concordia has the second largest enrollment. But of the 18 schools over the last five years, only five have a positive enrollment over the last five years. In the one year, the year-to-year comparison, only three are positive, two are neutral, and once again, 13 are negative. Uh, so the competition, and while we compete with the privates in Minnesota, that's not our primary competition. But I think that's a, a good snapshot of the reality uh, that makes every institution say, if we're going to survive, we're going to have to do things perhaps differently or more aggressively uh, than we have in the past. We can't just rest on our laurels. And there's this growing sense is that there will be winners and there will be losers. And most colleges and, and universities are in the business of wanting to be winners, wanting to stay mm-hmm. in business because they believe their mission is important. And what they're doing to help prepare students is something that should be uh, maintained and retained. So yeah, competition. And I think one of the other things that's unique about CSP's competition, we live in a couple of competitive orbits. Obviously, we live in the competitive orbit for traditional 18 to 22-year-old students who are going to um, come to Concordia, who are going to live here, eat here, sleep here, and do those kinds of things. Uh, And so we have competition sets there. On the other hand, with our significant online programs, we operate in a whole different world of competitors, uh, which are primarily the the big, the, the mega online universities like Arizona State, like Purdue Global, uh, like uh, Grand Canyon University. So to constantly be, be looking in, in both of those spaces uh, at our competition and trying to determine strategies and how we can uh, maneuver and be agile and uh, uh, responsible, responsive to our, our constituents in the marketplace is, a, is quite a challenge. Uh, earlier this week, Cardinal Stretch, Cardinal Stretch, Milwaukee, you know, just shut down or will be shutting down, and and right. we've had our own within the LC mess over the past five right. or so years, and it's such a tragic thing because you think about the alumni who call that their home. You think about the current students right. who figure out what to do next, who's right. going to accept their credits, the faculty right. and staff who, okay, what's next in my career? It's it's such right. a jarring thing to see so many of them right uh, recently. Right. So I think closures, you know, that that's a it's a really interesting topic, and it probably has multiple chapters. One of the realities is that most closures, although they happen with a vote of a board, um, they've been a long time in coming. Hmm. So colleges, universities, for the most part, are really resilient and um, in many ways defy. Uh, what the business community does. Um, somehow, some way, year after year, uh, any number of colleges find a way to continue to uh, figure out next year or this year mm-hmm. until they can't. 
And what we're seeing now is, in, in some ways, I think, the reality of some institutions having been on life support in some way, shape, or form for a period of years. And finally, it got to the point where the competition is just too great. Um, mm-hmm. We can't make this happen anymore. But to think, right, um, I mean, it's so close to home. Usually we think, well, it's out there. But I can think of an institution in South Dakota, an institution in Iowa, an institution in Michigan, Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and Wisconsin that have all announced closures since January 1. How do you think about the future? How do we balance that with also kind of alignment with those sober realities right. and, and realizing that there are challenges that also need to be addressed as well as these opportunities that we need to continue to take advantage of and, and run with? Right. You know, sometimes people say, well, you you have to make a lot of hard decisions. And I suppose that's one way to describe it. Um, but but I think that the role today of boards and, and leaders of universities is to make strategic decisions. Uh, and, and one of the challenges in that is um, it is hard to explain in depth everything that has led to the point of a strategic decision being made. And many times when strategic decisions are made, folks from the outside look in and have a whole different, and come up with a whole different narrative and, and trying to, you know, how do you unwind that conversation to the point that makes it understandable? And it many times you, you just, you can't, you can't. So you have to make the strategic decision, move forward, have a rationale always, but forward you go. In some ways, it's, it's a bit like being a duck. You have to paddle like crazy underneath, and folks don't see that. But calm as you as you continue to to move forward. So, but I do think thinking about not just tomorrow, but thinking about two years, three years, continuing to look out to the horizon. It's one of the things I like about the word vision. The idea that vision encapsulates it's a point on the horizon. It's a point on the horizon. So if if head is down, we can lose focus on where that point on the horizon is. So a vision helps us have a point on the horizon. Doesn't mean we're going to get there completely. It doesn't mean that we might not have to shift or adjust as we move, but it's out there. And, and that's what we're moving toward as we seek to strategically help the institution not just survive, but especially to thrive. So that mm-hmm. constant making strategic decisions, even if they're unpopular, even if they're almost impossible to explain in a way that people are going to say, oh yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being market sensitive, understanding how students are changing, understanding how faculty and staff who want to serve at institutions are changing. So there's there's a lot that goes into um, those strategic decisions. And and so to touch on one a strategic decision we've made recently, the announcement of CSP Global and what a cool opportunity that is for us to think about how we serve those non-traditional students, whether they're undergraduate or graduate students, and bring them the education that they need, where they need it, how they need it delivered, and and really continue the work that we started, yeah, 40 years ago with CASAL, and then the the advent of online education and and how that's evolved over the past Uh, you know, 25, 30 years, I, I look at that and say, okay, that's a, that's not a hard strategic decision necessary to explain. It's one of those decisions that you make with an eye toward that horizon and to say, 
we're moving somewhere because we have a mission that we can serve more students and, and give them what they need to, to thrive. Right, right. Well, sometimes I think we can learn a lot from um, looking back and, and our historian friends like uh, Dr. Hilmer and Dr. Saylor would say, well, good, you learned a lesson uh, about, <laughs> about history. But, but I think, um, and, and you were here for this uh, in person, Billy, I wasn't, but I listened to the, the uh, recording of it. But for the 125th anniversary of uh, Concordia St. Paul, there was a, a night with um, President Reese and, and the, the three living uh, former presidents. And as I listened to that, here's one of the things that struck me. Each of those presidents, so Holst obviously served 20 years, uh, but even Johnson, who served 18 months, each of them pointed out something they believed was maybe in their words, pivotal, I'm using it strategic, strategic. And when they lifted that up, I said, we would not be where we were today had each of those individuals and their administrations not made that strategic decision. And it goes back, and you and I have talked about this before, President Paler, when Paler in the 60s said, this is, we're staying here. That part of our role and mission is to serve where we were planted in 1893. Well, it was actually 1894 because we moved here in 1894, but we were always in the city and we're going to stay here. So mm -hmm. I think about that strategic decision. I think about Alan Hardy's strategic decision to start the, the uh, CASAL program, the Concordia School of Adult Learning. I think of Dr. Johnson's strategic decision to start master's degree. Um, President Holtz has many decisions about whether it was going Division II or uh, reaching out to the Hmong population or, you know, this, the, the facilities, the Ganglehoff Center. Um, and then President Reese's strategic decisions about finance and uh, building a reserve and, and growing our you know, investment in, in serving students. So it, it's just one after, after another after another. And sometimes it's only when we look back and in hindsight that we can see, oh, that was a, just a strategic decision and it propelled the institution in a way forward that maybe even at the time one could only see in limited capacity the importance of that strategic decision. So I, I think we're getting close to the end of our time here. I want to touch on uh, the LCMS because I think we're in sure. such a unique place as a university where we're, we're serving students from across the spectrum of religious backgrounds and, and, and ethnic backgrounds, but we also are a university, the LCMS, originally mm -hmm. founded to serve church work students, which we still do today. Uh, but we have this responsibility and this um, identity as an LCMS university mm -hmm. that that's important to us. So if, if you could just give kind of the broad overview of kind of what's happening right now in terms of things at the LCMS convention right. and, and how we um, work within that Concordia University system uh, to serve the church. Right. Uh, such a good question. Uh, let me just take a half step back before we try to go forward. Uh, sometimes as I talk about this with folks, I like to... Um, go back to the reasons for which the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was formed. Obviously theological, obviously theological. Um, but the structure of the Synod could have been done in any number of different ways. But eventually what the Synod said, as we agree on these points theologically, what are the things that we can do better together than by ourselves? And the Synod basically said there are two things. There are two things missions domestically and internationally. And the second is education, 
education of individuals to continue to serve the congregations and congregates of the church. So those are the two things. So the, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has this amazing history of why it has colleges, universities, and seminaries. And today, I believe, 2023, more than ever in the church's history, the intersection of those two reasons why we are synod working together is as united and dynamic and as exciting as it can possibly be. It's not without change, change or frustration or hair pulling uh, by many, many folks. But I, but the intersection of those is truly amazing to me to think mm-hmm. we have this essentially educational system where we bring students from all over the world and we have the opportunity uh, to equip them for a life of service. And as we do that, share the good news of the risen Jesus Christ with them and then enable and empower them to go out into their communities, throughout their uh, regions, into the world, knowing that they have a God who loves them. And that's incredibly uh, powerful and meaningful to me. So that said, right, so when I, I started at Concordia, Nebraska in 1991, there were 10 Concordias, 10 Concordias. Uh, today, uh, there are six Concordias on seven campuses. And, uh, you know, that 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 stings. So we lost our Concordia in Portland, our Concordia in Selma, Alabama, and our Concordia in Bronxville, New York. Those are, are really, really hard things. More and more, um, especially in the culture in which we live, and I think probably rightly so, uh, the church is concerned about the institutions, its institutions faithfully articulating uh, the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ in a world and culture that daily becomes more antithetic to that good news of the gospel. So over the past probably decade, the church and the church, when I say church, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod and the colleges, universities have been working together to strengthen the relationship of the institutions with the church, thereby strengthening the Lutheran identities of each of the institutions. So that's that's what we've been about. And, and as our church body does its work, it meets in uh, convention every three and this time because of COVID every four years mm-hmm. uh, to consider ways um, to to do that even better. And over the last four years, we've been working on something we affectionately refer to as 7-03. It's a task force that has uh, worked to help uh, boards of regents, presidents, the board of directors of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, the board of the Concordia University System, and ultimately the Senate in convention uh, to think about ways to uh, sharpen language, to refine thoughts and processes that would enable the, the institutions in the church to, to be more closely aligned and to be more faithful in our proclamation uh, of the gospel and living that out you know, each and every day. Exciting times. I think there's a lot of it opportunity. Um, we think about the students that we serve and and how we give them give them the gospel, but but help them see how God has gifted them to serve however he calls them as nurses or physical therapists or scientists or business people, artists, however God has gifted them to use those gifts in service to others. And and the stories. I mean, the stories are just they're they're remarkable. Just heard a new one. Just heard a new oh. one. So one of one of our one of our prophets was teaching online, 
and he was teaching a theology course. And one of the students uh, was was a person who just kept posting in, in sometimes kind of a negative uh, fashion uh, his displeasure with with the church. And finally, the professor said, "Hey, you got to knock it off. You, you you know you you can you can share some concerns and things with me, but." what you share here has to be a bit more appropriate than what you're sharing. And at the end of the course, just before the course ended, this same person contacted the prof and said, I need to visit with you. And hmm. the prof of course was saying, Oh, now what is he going to say? But what the student revealed is that he had been um, kind of uh, disassociated with his father for 20 years. His father was dying and the student said to the professor, you know, you've been talking a lot about forgiveness. I, I think I need to know more about that. And so you think, wow, what an incredible opportunity we had. Bring forgiveness and God's love to a student uh, who was, was disengaged in, in with, with family, earthly family, but also with his, his heavenly family. So. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your, your story, your love for CSP and, and, and kind of the nuts and bolts too of what's happening in our world and higher education and the church and, and all of those things. Well, it's been a joy to be with you. Thank you for listening to the One Heart Podcast. We invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and consider sharing with a friend. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the One Heart Podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Concordia University St. Paul. The material information presented herein is for general information purposes only. The Concordia University St. Paul name, all forms and abbreviations are property of Concordia University St. Paul, and using them does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service.